We begin with the letter A. A is for... M is for murder. E is for... Danger! And, uh... Dodge. With... Monster. Help! Love me and be... Please! Help! Yeah. Welcome back to another Is For podcast. As always, I am Danger. And uh, that, that guy over there in the tank top tonight, that's, uh, that's Mr. Sarge. Say hello, Howdy Sarge. everyone. Not Tyranna Sarge and not Velasa Monster this round. Monster, say hi. Hi. I like Velasa Monster. Yeah, maybe Velasa Monster and Triceratops Sarge will come back. Uh, Triceratops Sarge. Yeah. Do you guys know that this is our first ever part two? It is. It is. And we are talking, Jay is for Jurassic Park tonight. And we've had to make this into a two-part episode because all of us are lovers of this movie. And the notes go on and on and on for this. I've taken it down to as best I can to make this into somewhat of a uh, outable topic and you know something for us to really talk about. But it's so much information. All right, listeners, look, we're just going to keep it real with you, okay? We just need you to listen to the first Five minutes of the podcast. If you get bored before the end, we don't blame you because he still has like 26 pages of notes. No. I don't think it's good to start off our show by telling our listeners they may get bored. Yeah. I think that's not a great way to start the show. I, I think this could be riveting. I'm on the edge of my seat as we speak. I have never gone to see a band and them going, hey guys, give us one song and then you can go home. No, no, no. You bought the whole seat, but you're only going to need the edge. So, oh yeah, yeah. Triceratops, it's back. Deal with it. We are going <laughs> full on into Jurassic Park. I can't say that I want to hear your Ian Malcolm laugh again, but I feel like we're not going to be able to avoid it. <laughs> so, <laughs> we're not going to be able to avoid it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, do you guys remember where we left off in part one? Nope. All right. So in part one, we went through the production of things, the writing, the rights, how the rights went up for sale before the book was even published, which to me is insane. And so we've gotten through the movie all the way to where, as you were talking about, Monster, that when you go to a zoo, you go and you see the animals, you get all excited about going to see the lions, and then the lions uh, suck and they stay hidden. Mm -hmm. You know, you see a tail flopping out from behind. And that was one of the great realism things that they put into Jurassic Park. And so now this tour has started and all the, the only dinosaur they've actually seen is the Triceratops and what I was calling the Triceratur that you were so enamored by. I'm still working on getting that Triceratur shirt for you, monster. That's one big pile of shit. It is a big pile of shit. So anyway, now we are at the point to where most of the park employees have left for the mainland because a uh, a storm is coming in, which we will talk more nothing, about the storm. But go on. Nothing says Grandpa of the Year like sending your kids out into a carnivorous amusement park in the middle of a tropical storm. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't think that they knew a storm was coming, but that goes along with being a decent parental figure, grandparent actual parent to watch the forecast and see what's on the radar. So anyway, that, that's, 
That's what I was getting ready to say. They have the technology to clone dinosaurs. But they just don't have a really good weather app to tell them uh, that the storm is is in their vicinity. If, if only they had. Magic word. If only they had Weatherbug or Google Weather or iWeather for iPhones and oh. yeah, yeah. Um, or you know, turn on the Weather Channel because I'm pretty sure that existed at that time. You know, no, no, they didn't have cable at Jurassic Park. Ah, ah, yeah. Uh, out on the island, they it was hard to run that that coax cable across the the water. So well, they probably had satellite. Yeah, yeah. spared no expense. Right, right, right. Spared no expense. Yeah. So anyway, the uh, the group is out in the park. The uh, storm is bearing down on them, so the employees leave for the mainland. And again, we'll talk more about the uh, the storm in a little bit. So the visitors return to their electric tour vehicles, which uh, we'll talk about the tour vehicles here in a little bit, how they were given to them and whatnot. So uh, except Sadler, who went to study the, the Triceratops. And so Sadler is no longer with the, the tour group. Sadler is actually with the grandfather that let his kids go out into the carnivorous Jurassic Park. So anyway, Dennis Nerdy, who's been bribed by Dogson, as we talked about. Dogson, it's Dogson. Nobody cares. So, well, um, is, it, is, it, is it Nerdry or is it Nedry? I think it's Nedry. Is, is it Nedry? Okay, I've, just, I've, been, I've been mispronouncing it for two episodes now. Thanks, guys. Thanks for, <laughs> well, for getting me now. I've been mispronouncing it since the movie came out, so I guess it's okay. Honestly, I... Don't think I've ever actually said his name, the character's name. I've always just called him Newman from Seinfeld. That's right. I've yeah. always called him Newman. <laughs> yeah. Newman from Seinfeld or Jurassic Seinfeld. You know, that's what we're going to go with. So anyway, Doxa works for Hammond's corporate rival. If you guys can tell me what Hammond's corporate rival is, oh, I will. IGN. Okay. Good job. No, I, I don't remember. I, IGN, I think, is the gaming type. So. Yeah, it's it's something like... Engine. Oh, it's yeah. engine. Engine. Okay. Engine. Okay. I, IGN. Okay. Engine. Yeah, I I don't remember. So, uh, yeah, I'm anyway. pretty sure he's right. So, shortly after Nedry made his first appearance in the control room there, you can actually see uh, he's watching Jaws on computer screen. Like a little window watching Jaws. Ah, neat little neat little Spielberg plug, if you will. So anyway, Nedry shuts down the park security systems and then everything goes wrong. Well, I like his total BS excuse for shutting down the park security systems. I'm running an update. Some non-essential things are going to flash off and on. I don't, I don't, I don't. Yeah, everything essential yeah. goes away. <laughs> yeah, all the non-essential things like the uh, electrified dinosaur fences. Yeah, he's got the little squeaky stretch uh, stress thing with the little ears and eyes popping out the whole time. So, love it. Anyway, so shuts down security system and heads to get the embryos in the Barbasol can. So, Nedry sabotages everything. Sabotage. He cuts the tour vehicles because they were electric. You know why would you have Ford Explorers? And not have them able to run on their own. I don't know. Evidently, they were on that track and powered by that track. And uh, it seems like a dumb thing all around. But we couldn't have had this movie had we not had bad engineering. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, if they were keeping it like an amusement park ride, I remember like in Kings Island in Ohio, they had like the old antique cars that would sit on the track and it would run itself. 
thing you could do is like kind of push to break and maybe it would stop. Well, even at Disney World, they have the go-karts that are on a track, but you still, you know, gas, brake, steer left and right, even though you go left and right about six inches and you hit that track and you come to a stop. So, you know, I feel like that's what it should be. Yeah, but I mean, I've seen other things where you're on like a, a monorail kind of thing or you're on like a, a predetermined track and you just sit in your seat. And, yeah. You know, I, I get the concept of it. Obviously, it was used as a plot convenience for, right. you know, the right. scenes later on. But as as a actual like part of the park, eh, I don't know. Makes sense to me. This strands them right in front of the T-Rex. One of the worst dinosaurs. Of course, I don't know if there's a great dinosaur for them to be stranded in front of, but electric fences go down. Tyrannosaurus escapes. Do you remember the claw like coming over the, the wire? It's it, down on it. Yeah, yeah. To me, it's just, it's one of the coolest things ever. But, you know, why didn't he go for the lamb if he was that close to the electric fence? But, you know, whatever. So, anyway. Well, hold on. Before you elaborate, let me just, let me just gush for one second. Go on. As a horror movie fan, as a monster movie fan, as whatever, this scene with the T-Rex and the kids and the rain, this is one of the absolute, in my opinion, one of the best scenes ever in a film, period. It's one of the most exciting moments in film history. But, you know, for anybody that is on the fence about whether or not this is kind of a horror movie or not, I mean, come on. This, this scene with with the rain and the big monster. I mean, this is right out of a classic monster movie. Now I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't classify this as a horror movie by any means. I would say it's more of a thriller because thriller movies tend to walk the line between yeah. horror and uh, Michael Jackson. No, between horror and adventure or whatever, you know, it's an adventure. Yeah. thriller. And yeah, I get that. Yeah. But, but it's, I mean, same as like uh, a film like Jaws or something, where it is mostly a action-adventure kind of movie, but it has these horror set pieces, these real like horrific moments. And I think that the T-Rex scene in, in Jurassic Park is, whether you want to classify Jurassic Park as a horror movie or not, that whatever, but as far as a great scary movie scene or a great horror scene, that T-Rex attack is up there for sure. Yeah. And I'll give so you that. Maybe, maybe going to steal Dangerous Thunder for a second. And I don't do this very often. So if I do and he gets mad, he can just be okay for a minute. Cool. So I'm glad we're all in agreement here. <laughs> not only was that scene very well done and not, and well thought out, well executed, but it was also dangerous for the people in the scene in real life. If I oh, remember yeah. correctly, that animatronic T-Rex, when it got wet, would just randomly go off. Not quite well, when it got wet, but it did get wet and that caused malfunctions, which I will talk about. Part, yeah, okay. part of the reason that it would malfunction is because it would it's a it's a combination of animatronic and computer animated effects. And the part of the head was kind of spongy. So when it rained it got super like it would absorb the water and got super, super heavy. So that like you said, it it was actually kind of a dangerous thing because it was so heavy and it was like the kind of risk falling on somebody. <laughs> so we will talk more about the Tyrannosaurus, not right now, but okay, you know it. You guys were right and wrong. You know you're mixing 
parts of things, and that's okay because uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get a little more. Into it. So anyway, okay, okay. So during filming of the uh, the scenes where the Tyrannosaurus is escaping and attacking, so they had a much easier time reacting to the animatronic that was there on set, as anybody would. But because there was so much CGI that was going to be put into it, so it was a big mix. Steven Spielberg to get the actors to do certain cues and whatnot would roar like a dinosaur through a megaphone at the actors. And they actually had a hard time filming because they were laughing so hard. Sam Neill said uh, it was kind of more funny than anything. The acting part was not laughing. So I was going to say, I think that having Steven Spielberg roaring in my ear like a dinosaur would have the inverse effect. I yep. would not be able to stop laughing at that. So Sam Neill's out there waving his flare around. And uh, one of the embers actually went under his watch and he still bears a scar about the size of a quarter on his wrist from where the ember was stuck under his, his watch as he's trying to distract this dinosaur. and. Jurassic Park actually made an impact on him. After, you know, the tour vehicle is overturned and Gennaro, the the uh, lawyer, runs into the bathroom and he actually tripped a bit and fell backwards and sat and like fell down on the toilet seat. And Steven Spielberg thought that that created a lot of authenticity to the moment. And I was, you know, when I came across that, it was just, I don't really feel like it added a lot of authenticity to things. It just, the guy ran into a bathroom and then sat down. That's all it looked like to me every time I've watched it. Yeah, I always thought that was sort of like one of those moments that you see in a lot of like tense moments in films where they try to like lighten the mood a little bit. Yeah. So like you've got this tense T-Rex chase, all this stuff going on, and then you cut to a guy sitting on the port john you know, like just right. to kind of give a brief, like a brief breather there. Yeah. Well, a lawyer nonetheless. The only one I agree with is the blood-sucking lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> and to go along with what you were saying, Monster, about it being a horror movie, Steven Spielberg is really, I mean, he's a fine director. He's made plenty of fine movies, but he actually said every moment that the dinosaur turns its head or the camera moves in this scene, it has to be quick. There can be no slow pans because fast is scary. Slow is not scary. So I would, let me retract my previous statement. Maybe you don't want to classify this as a horror movie, but I think you absolutely have, have to classify it as a science fiction monster movie. Oh, absolutely. Even though, yeah. Even though like dinosaurs are kind of set in reality, you know, I mean, this is about the big monster coming after you kind of thing. It it really harkens back to a lot of the, like, you know, Atomic Age, 1950s, like giant tarantula kind of movies that, that were out there. Mm -hmm. I think Spielberg was definitely pulling inspiration from a lot of that. Yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I think it fits. I think it fits all the criteria to be a monster movie, for, for sure. Mm -hmm. Most monster movies are about the normal becoming abnormal so yeah i mean that's, i think that was pretty yeah bad. that sounds like the kind of movies i star in monster movies get it yeah oh no i got it i got it while grant lex and tim escape down that big ass tree you know down the side of the thing and then down the tree on his way to deliver the embryos nedry 
becomes lost in the rain, wrecks. And do you guys remember what he was killed by? Oh, Dilophosaurus. Yeah, Dilophosaurus. To which, I know my dinosaurs. Yeah, you do know your dinosaurs. He spit acid in his face, right? Thing, right? I don't think it was acid. I think it was uh, the uh, it was like sticky stuff. Which so the animatronic was obviously animated by puppeteers sitting. Uh, they were actually sitting down in a trench below, and to spit the things out, to spit the stuff out, they used paintball gun, and it was a mix of menthol cellulose and KY jelly. Yeah, so they used lube to kill Newman. So <laughs> again. The, Here's another one of those moments. If anybody wants to isolate the audio there, they use lube to kill Newman. If we could just cut and paste that. Uh, I, I will cut it and I will apply that as my ringtone for every time you call me. How's that? So, it's better than the ringtone you have now. I don't actually know what my ringtone is now. Don't every do. time I call you, it plays Bad Romance by Lady Gaga. Uh, don't act uh, like, don't, don't be shy now. Tell the people the truth. The sounds for it were actually uh, the sound engineering for some of the dinosaurs were just cool facts to me, and it was a mix of a swan, a hawk, a howler monkey, and a rattlesnake. I don't know how they came up with those things as what would make the right sound for it. I mean, they were just probably sitting there like, "Okay, what does this thing look like? Holy crap! What would that sound like?" And they're just like, "Sounds good." That's what that now sounds like. <laughs> if if I eat Taco Bell too late at night, I have been described as having a similar sound—a combination of a howler monkey and, and different animals. Moving on, we've all been there. Yeah, Sattler helps Muldoon look for survivors. Only finds the injured Malcolm just before the Tyrannosaurus returns. And then we talked about what was said at this part. Your your favorite director, Monster. Uh, stole a line from this part when the Tyrannosaurus is chasing him. Do you remember what your favorite director's line was that he took? It was Go Faster. faster. So anyway. Are you referring to uh, that grade A hack, Roland Emmerich? Oh, I don't don't remember you calling him a hack. I remember you talking about how wonderful he was. Grant, Tim, and Lex. Driver find Emmerich in a dark hallway. So they take shelter in the treetop and the Brachiosaurus comes up very docile. Uh, they later discover broken shells of dinosaur eggs, and uh, you know they figure out they've been breeding. Because what is that, guys? Wait, what is it? Because life uh, finds a way. Yeah. I, I can go the rest of my life hearing your impressions of Jeff Goldblum and never quite be satisfied, but thank you. Thank no, you. they're <laughs> not even remotely close. Oh, no. I don't know why I keep doing this. No. It's just because he does the hand motions where he's sitting there and he's like, they uh, uh, find a way. I, I feel like, like if people could see me, it would work better. Well, I will, I'll, I'll see what I can do to help people see you, but you please know. don't. Okay. <laughs> so, anyway, do you guys remember the reason why they were finding eggs? I do. Why? I this. Why? Some science dork. Because there's some frogs where they took the DNA from that were in a single sex environment will change their gender to reproduce. Absolutely. Absolutely. So because they used, it was the West African frog DNA, the dinosaurs were able to do so as well. All right. So they jumped into uh, Nedry's computer to try to reactivate things. And so they were unable to decipher the code that he had put in place so they could reactivate the security system. Hammond and Ray Arnold, hold on to your butts. So they reboot the whole system 
they shut down oh. the park's grid completely. So not only was everything offline, but they still had like some lights and things. And then they go, nope, we're done. <laughs> and they shut it all down and reboot it. They did the large version of, have you tried turning it off and turning it back on again? Absolutely. So, in order to do this correctly, you have to get something and put it in the corner of your mouth. Hold on to your butt. Hold on to your So then Arnold, this part never made sense to me. Okay, it, I didn't really think much about it when I was a kid, but as an adult when I was watching, because I actually watched uh, Jurassic Park in the last week, this part didn't make sense to me. It is well known at this point in the movie that dinosaurs are on the loose. Dinosaurs are killing people. And Arnold goes out to the maintenance shed by himself to go try to turn it off and turn it on again. Why? Why? I, it does not make sense to me, but there we have the end of Samuel Jackson in the movie, because then when Sattler goes to looking for any more survivors with uh, Muldoon and Arnold doesn't come back yet. They're like, all right, we're going to the maintenance shed. And then she finds his arm because he was killed. So, uh, at this point, you know, they're trying, Hammond and uh, Malcolm are trying to tell Sattler how to get there. And Malcolm snatches the radio out of Hammond's hand because he's being a dumb old man and confusing her. And that is the last time he speaks in the movie. He has no more lines to the rest of the movie. No, he might not speak with his words, but let's not forget the beefcake pinup pose. Where he is shirtless and glistening. The, the <laughs> internet won't let me forget it. No. And, and have you seen the gif where they put Grant on his belly? And like, he's listening and uh, going back and forth. Like, like undulating. It's from uh, the uh, the Triceratops. You know, it's so, so uncomfortable. Oh, it very much so is. So they discover the shutdown has deactivated the remaining fences and released the Velociraptors because... They shut everything else down. Why would it have not deactivated those fences? That, I don't feel like there's a lot of thinking in some of these parts. So Muldoon distracts the uh, Raptors while Sattler goes to turn the power back on. You know, she, you know, pops the thing. After she does that, and the Raptor pops out. You know, she like goes back, and then his arm falls down, and then she's like, "Oh, Arnold!" And then she realizes his arm, and then the Raptor pops his head out. The whole scene where Laura Dern is trying to get away and crying, Laura Dern was crying for real because she was actually frightened the entire time until she got outside. But she also claims it was her favorite scene in the movie to film. So, you know, she's... Tell, tell me again how this is not a horror movie. Oh, no, no. Whenever there's Laura there's... Dern finds this severed arm on her shoulder and then a dinosaur head pops out and she screams and cries. It sounds a little like a horror movie to me. All right, fine. We'll we'll call it a horror movie. Fine, <laughs> fine. It's an fine. action horror movie. Yeah, yeah. I, All right, I, yeah. All right. Well, I'll give you, just, I'll give you a horror movie. Sure, whatever. Just being a pain in the ass. Yeah. So while Laura Dern is being chased down this hallway, Muldoon's outside with a clever girl that eats him. The Velociraptor just pops his head out and just bites him. So all right, Grant, Tim, and Lex all finally reach the visitor center. Grant heads out to look for Sattler, leaving Tim and Lex. Tim and Lex find desserts and stuff. And so they're sitting there eating. And when she finally sees the raptor and you see the spoon start shaking in the jello wobbling, 
she couldn't quite get it right. Like she just couldn't. So there's somebody just off screen grabbing her elbow, just wobbling her arm. <laughs> so just to get that nice little jello wobble. It's awesome. So then they head into the kitchen. The kitchen scene was actually Ariana Richards' favorite scene. It was filmed in two weeks and the Raptors were there most of the time. The whole time they filmed it, it was, you know, men in suits. And one of the reasons why it took them so long to film is because they could only stay in the suit for about 15 minutes of filming because they were in a downhill ski position the entire time in those suits. Their knees were bent. They were just leaned forward and it was just incredibly uncomfortable and painful for them. Then on top of it, there were cables and poles and things everywhere to control everything that was going on. You know, it was horribly uncomfortable for the, the, the guys in the suits. And so that's why it took forever. It would be a pain in the ass for any actor to be on a set in every 15 minutes, but like, cut, give, give Tom a break. He's got to get out of that, <laughs> that suit there. When Tim was being chased into the freezer, he said it was a Raptor on wheels that had to follow me. And he was supposed to go left, but he went right. And they did a bunch of takes. And the one time he went the wrong direction, the Raptor turned and its claw, which was made of metal, hit him in the head and knocked him out. So that was actually all filmed on his birthday. And when he came to Steven Spielberg had the entire cast and crew sing him happy birthday. <laughs> and he said, I think it was the perfect time for this the whole crew saying me happy birthday, which he took as his birthday present. What a shitty birthday. Just saying shitty birthday present. So. Well, you get knocked unconscious, but you do star in one of the what most beloved films of all time. Yeah. Yeah. Not that bad. Yeah, but you didn't know it's going to be. All right. When they get out, they join Grant and Sattler, who have made it back to the visitor center. And uh, the group reaches the control room. And Lex, the computer genius, uses the computer system because she can decipher Nedry's you know, software that nobody else could, allowing them to call Hammond, who calls for help. When the survivors are crawling through the vents, you, Sarge, as a science nerd, I feel like this is kind of right up your alley. I don't know if you remember, but there were letters like shining up on their faces. They were crawling through and it's the letters G A T C. And what are those letters? Sarge, do you know? G A T C. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the four letters used to denote DNA components. A little extra little science there at the end. Like now that, like, now I don't that, remember that. Yeah. It's been a minute since I watched the original Jurassic Park, but now that you're saying it, I do kind of remember it kind of like glowing on their face. And I, I never thought to think that there was a, a reason behind it. I mean, that's cool. That's yeah. Smart. Yeah. So they've made it through, through the, the duct work as they try to escape through the front entrance. They're cornered by Raptors. And then they escape when the Tyrannosaurus appears, killing the Raptors. Hammond arrives in a Jeep with Malcolm and the group boards a helicopter and leave the Island behind. Another one of those iconic scenes is when the T-Rex and the Velociraptors are fighting mm -hmm. and that banner comes like slowly drifting down. When dinosaurs I, I, rule the earth. Yeah. Like, wow. Again, like done in the wrong hands. It could be cheesy and over the top, but because it's Spielberg, because it's Stan Winston, because it's these people, it just works. Beautiful. It's fantastic. 
Well, I mean, we could only imagine what that last scene would have been like in the hands of James Cameron or yeah. Tim Burton. All right. So that's the movie. Let's talk about some of the changes from the book, which you monster wanted to, to touch on before. Like you said, Hammond went from being a ruthless businessman to a kindly old man. Yeah, big change to one of the major characters. He also switched the characters of Tim and Lex from the book. Yes. Yeah. Tim is 11 and interested in computers, and Lex is only seven or eight and interested in sports. So swap their characters all together. But that was to introduce a subplot of Lex's crush on Grant. You know, it worked. So, Which, speaking about Grant, the whole age discrepancy between Grant and Sadler as well. Yes, the there book, was a bigger age discrepancy between Grant and Lex. <laughs> well, yes, there was, but... In, in the book, Grant is a professor, and I think Sadler is one of his, his students. students. Yeah. And he, she, I think she, I don't know if they ever really pursue any kind of romantic, you know, subplot in the book. But in in the film, they kind of made them this like kind of cute, odd couple, you know. And I think it works better that way. It, it would look a little bit weird, you know, maybe not so much in the '90s, but especially through the 2022 lens. And, mm-hmm they would have kept it as Grant as the professor and Sadler as his student, so to speak. Yep. Uh, opening sequence, or the two scenes that were completely cut, the opening sequence with a, and I'm going to, I'm going to spell this. I don't know if you two need to write it down to help me pronounce it. I, I'm not even going to try. P-R-O-C-O-M-P-S-O-G-N-A-T-H-U-S. That is a procom. Oh, wow. Protractor, yes. (laughs) So it attacked a young child, completely cut. And for budgetary reasons, uh, they cut the T-Rex chasing Grant and the children down a river before being tranquilized by Muldoon. Oh, pick me, pick me. I have a stupid fun fact. Sarge, you have anything? Yeah, I believe so that um, the... It's called a copy is short, which is what, what what we would know them as a short name. Is that the little dinosaurs? Yeah. Okay. I feel like Monster might have something to say. Yeah, <laughs> I, have, I have two very important things to say. All right, all right. Number one, the first thing I want to say about the T-Rex chasing them down the river was actually included in the Sega Genesis video game, which is pretty cool, which I played the hell out of when I was a little kid. It was super hard. But it was very scary. It was very fun. And second, the scene that you're talking about that got cut from the first one was actually done in the Lost World. And yes, they were campies. That was like their little nickname for them. But yes, they ate a little kid. And God, if you guys ever do that to me again, my head will literally explode like scandals. Okay. So, but the the whole part about how it was added to the, the sequel, I feel like you're reading my notes. It's probably from the same place you got your notes from. I, I took no notes. I just know these things because I have an incredible wealth of useless knowledge. Yes, your brain is really good at retaining useless things, but if it's important, it's gone. I've got the it's same really problem. It's really good at retaining things that I know other people would like to share. That's this what it's good the, at. This is the great thing about Danger and Sarge and Monster. My wheelhouse, my skill set, my knowledge is completely different than Danger's. 
and dangerous is completely different than monsters. And so, <laughs> because he's got all these snacks, and I'm like, you know, I, I can field strip a M2 heavy mountain. <laughs> and I know so much tri- trivia about movies and bands you didn't even know existed. <laughs> I, I have so much trivia about things you didn't need to know. Okay. Run through a few more of the uh, the changes from the book. Malcolm ultimately dies. Gennaro, who's not present for the Tyrannosaurus attack, he stays behind uh, with Ellie at the Triceratops. He lives and helps Muldoon get the park running again. So Muldoon lives again uh, up to getting the park running. Kind of all these things were just taken out, which, I mean, we know from what Crichton said, only about 20%, 20, 10 to 20% of the movie is from is what was in his book. So, all right, let's talk about the filming of it right quick. 25 months of pre-production filming was on the Hawaiian Island of Kauai. So we talked about the, uh, the, I, I said, we we're going to talk about the hurricane that hit on September 11th of 92, a hurricane Aniki passed directly over Kauai, costing an entire day of shooting. When the hurricane hit, the cast and crew were all told to move into the ballroom of the hotel, which they were staying. Attenborough, however, stayed in his hotel room and slept through the entire thing. <laughs> and when he asked, was asked how he could have done it, Attenborough replied, My dear boy, I survived the blitz. <laughs> he accredited surviving bombing as being able to sleep through a hurricane. It's not so much that they changed his character so much from the book to the movie. But Attenborough is just such a charming old man that, like, he could have been the monster that he was in the book, and you would still kind of, he would still be somewhat lovable just because he's that, like, likable of an actor. Right. So, with the hurricane delaying production, the production crew, Kathleen Kennedy of now Marvel fame, really, she was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to go help. People get back together, help the people of the island, help our movie get back on track. But while I'm doing that, all of you, 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 you camera operators, go film it. And so the scenes in the movie that you actually see, that you see of the hurricane are actually the hurricane, which I always thought was kind of a cool thing. I didn't know that before I got here. Never heard that before. Took advantage awesome. of it. Yeah. All right. I said I was going to talk about the cars. In Crichton's book, it was Toyota Land Cruisers. But Spielberg made a deal with Ford, and they provided seven Ford Explorers. To give the illusion of the autonomous car, they reworked them to where the drivers were hiding in the car's trunks. So, okay, autonomous car, cool. But I just have this picture of knowing how the cars were set and all the actors were, and so many interior shots of the cars. It was just these these guys like, buried underneath the seats like in the little cargo hold of the trunk like <laughs> driving these little cars around and just looking at a little monitor and yeah it's uh it's funny to me but let's talk about t-rex attack on the suvs you know this is where i was talking about you guys were a little right a little wrong so the foam rubber skin of the animatronic would cause the t-rex to shake and quiver so it wouldn't start activating because it was wet but between takes, the crew would actually wipe down the, the T-Rex with chamois, you know, dried off. But the T-Rex would uh, malfunction and turn on randomly and start moving. And it, it weighed a ton. And 
they actually had alarms go off whenever it was intentionally turned on. There were times where it would just randomly turn on. Uh huh. Could you imagine being on set when that giant T Rex head just randomly turned on and like shook his head towards you? That is horrifying. I've never heard that before. That is, that genuinely freaks me out. Like that's a haunted animatronic T Rex. That's brutal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember reading, I think it was in a documentary or something I watched. I remember hearing that the alarms would sound when the T-Rex was being activated. And if it happened to be moving while the alarms weren't on, you kind of had to stay away from it until it got done. Right. You had to wait for the T-Rex to just run out of steam, I guess. I don't know. It's terrifying. Yes, absolutely terrifying. Let's talk about the ripples in the glass. The T-Rex oh, yeah. stomps. Yeah. Do you guys want to guess what Spielberg's inspiration was for the ripples in the glass? Inspiration or what he used to cause it? Inspiration. It was when he was in his car, had a drink in the cup holder, listening to Earth, Wind, and Fire, and the bass was making <laughs> the ripples go in the glass. And so that's when he was like, that's what I want. And Sarge, I'll let you talk about what they used to make it. I mean, I've heard a couple different things of how it was, how it was accomplished. I think the most prominent one was our orchestra teacher at the high school telling everyone that it was done with like a piano string, guitar string. Yeah. So uh, ran a guitar string inside of the glove box and yeah. would pluck it to get the uh, the effects. All right. Spielberg decided to change the climax back to the T Rex, abandoning the original ending where Grant uses platform machine, scissor lift, to maneuver a raptor to a Tyrannosaurus jaws, crushing and killing it. <laughs> so instead of the T-Rex coming in, he wanted to do that. Sarge? So uh, just, just to clarify this, Grant was on a Sunbelt scissor lift. One of the things you see putzing around, changing light bulbs in Walmart, and then he crushed a T-Rex with it, after he no, crushed the crushed, crushed the Velociraptor with the T Rex skull because there was a whole thing about the juxtaposition of live dinosaurs being in a in a museum with bones and whatnot, and so he was going to use T Rex skull to crush and kill the Velociraptor because why not? I why guess not? I, I don't know why not, but changed it to the T Rex showing up at the end, which was much more effective, much more impactful. But then also that gave the whole you know banner falling you know, when dinosaurs ruled the earth and whatnot. So again, to, to harken back to like Jaws, you know, like you see these dinosaurs, I, I keep wanting to call them monsters, but I mean, I guess, you know, whatever, but you keep seeing these creatures throughout the film, but then the very end, just like Jaws is when you finally get to see like, not in the dark, not in the rain, you know, clear full view. Blown, yeah. There it is. Yeah. All right. I do want to talk about the dinosaurs that were actually seen on screen because they made a lot of changes to the dinosaurs that actually has led to us having almost a misconception of what these dinosaurs were. First, let's talk about the Brachiosaurus. This was the first dinosaur that they saw. It's inaccurately shown chewing its food. The chewing was you know, done to make the animal seem more docile, like a cow. The, but the brachiosaurus didn't chew their food. They just kind of like 
pulled off branches and swallowed, you know. The dinosaur's head and upper neck was the largest puppet without hydraulics ever built for film. So that would have been the scene where they're in the treetops and they're feeding it leaves. Yeah. Because I would say, for as incredible, monumental as the special effects are in this film, that first scene where they see them out like walking through the field next to that pond and stuff, if I had to point to one scene where the, the special effects maybe don't hold up as well, it's that one because it's all digital and it just it has that 1990s CG thing going on. It doesn't look as great. But when they do the animatronics in the trees, in the treetops, like you're talking about, it looks phenomenal. It looks, it looks like a dinosaur is there. Sarge, do you want to guess what things they combine? I'll just say what animals they combine to make the sound for the brachiosaurus. A whale and my ex-wife. So Ooh, a whale brutal. and a and an ass. All right. Now the things that you mentioned about the the Dilophosaurus earlier, neck frills, spit venom, mm-hmm. both fictitious. There's nothing to support that it ever existed. So now that's actually something that anytime that dinosaur it was so popular then, anytime that dinosaur has shown up in any other sort of pop culture or anything. They add those two things to it because that is now seen as what the dinosaur was. But they have found skeletons and whatnot of Dilophosaurus and the neck frill and the venom never, never were a thing. Well, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, aren't they all bones? So the neck frills and the venom definitely probably wouldn't be there. That was my thought as well. Just saying. Yeah, I mean. that, that was my thought as well is how do they know those things? But. I'm sure that people that spend their entire lives digging up and studying dinosaur bones know a bit more about how to figure that stuff out than we do, but... Eh. Well, I mean, this is also the same community that finally has said that dinosaurs probably had feathers. Yeah. All right, so... The- Spe- speaking of the feather thing, did so the velociraptors, from from what I've like read and whatever, is that the... The actual raptors that you see in the film are more correlated to something called the Utah raptor, which is like a, like I said, more like what you see in the film. A velociraptor is more like the size of like a chicken or a rooster. Mm-hmm. Yep. Since Was that, did nope. I steal some thunder? Almost, almost. Okay. Almost. So I'll jump ahead and talk about the velociraptor, but I am going to go back and talk about the Tyrannosaurus. Okay. Uh, gonna skip over talking about unless you guys want to. Let me know if you want to. The uh, Gallimimus uh, and this Triceratops. Gallimimus. Oh, yeah, I'll skip over those and two. We've already talked about the Triceratops. Oh, there's more to talk about the Triceratops. There's what, no, I want, what, what, do you, what do you have to say about the Triceratops? No, no, we're we're. I'm gonna jump ahead to the Velociraptor. You started talking about it. The creature's depiction on film is not based on the dinosaur as you were talking about was was significantly smaller it was made to be 10 feet tall because spielberg thought it would be more intimidating because i don't think lex and tim would have been hiding from chickens in the kitchen reimagine all of those scenes with the velociraptor if the raptor is like two and a half feet tall with feathers yeah do you want to guess what things were put together 
for what sounds were put together for creating the sound of the the Velociraptor. Dolphin screams, walruses bellowing, geese hissing, an African crane's mating call, tortoises mating, and human rasps. <laughs> yeah, I've heard a tortoise mate, and I don't ever remember the sound of two shells clunking. Well, I mean, Velociraptor was being around. Well, there's so many other other sounds that maybe the shells clunking was uh, a little muffled by the uh, dolphin screams. <laughs> You know what's going to sound good for this animal? Dolphin screams. Let's make the dolphin scream so we can get the sound. Yeah, but how do you get the dolphin to scream? I don't. I don't want to know the answer to that question. Yeah. Look, Peter. Peter only complains once. Look, look, we got the scream. We don't have to do it again. No, Peter complains many times. I know. I've been to concerts and things where Peter shows up, and they still <laughs> complain. I hate Peter. Sorry, Peter lovers, but no, I'm not sorry. I don't. I, whatever. I was going to say, I don't know that our demographic is full of PETA enthusiasts. No, I don't I don't think so either, but I don't know. PETA, go eat a steak. Anyway, so um, let's talk about the Tyrannosaurus. The animatronic was 20 feet tall. It weighed 17,500 pounds and was 40 feet long. Big-ass animatronic. But to think that that, uh, what was it, the Brachiosaurus was the biggest puppet ever made? And then old, old T-Rex was 20 feet tall and 40 feet long it shows you how big the other thing was so anyway animator steve williams when he was you know doing the computer animations he quotes i threw physics out the window and created a t-rex that moved at 60 miles per hour even though its hollow bones would have busted if it ever ran that fast the t-rex was actually only estimated to run 35 miles an hour so misconception so the t-rex occasionally malfunctioned due to rain. Kathleen Kennedy said the T-Rex went into the heebie-jeebies or gave her the heebie-jeebies sometimes. Scare the crap out of all of us. We'd be like eating lunch and all of a sudden a T-Rex would come alive. At first, at first we didn't know what was happening and then we realized it was the rain. You'd hear people start screaming. So it wouldn't just quiver. It would move. That is so crazy. Like I said, that would be just terrifying on set. <laughs> so the T-Rex footsteps, the sound were created by uh, cutting sequoias and crashing them to the ground. And its war was a baby elephant, tiger, and alligator all mixed together. Its grunts were a male koala and whales blow. I don't know how they came up with the mixing of all these sounds. So anyway... That's the dinosaurs, the filming, all that. And of course, the music was done by John Williams. He has a epic repertoire behind him. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Did the theme for Jaws, Star Wars, Close Encounters of Third Kind. Yeah, he's got a he's got a fairly good good record. All right. The, let's talk about the release of it real quick. Universal took the lengthy pre-production period to carefully plan Jurassic Park's marketing campaign. It cost $65 million and included deals with 100 companies to market 1,000 products. That's big. Yeah. You mentioned the Sega game, Monster. Fantastic. Oh, yeah. There were three of them, so I don't remember which one you played. I played a top-down one a lot. That's So that was actually on Super Nintendo. Okay. Yep. So it had a toy line by Kenner, 
And then McDonald's did the dino-sized meals. So you could say dino-size it instead of super-size it. And I remember that. If I can wait, make one quick comment about the marketing. Whenever they're actually inside of Jurassic Park in the film, like when they're eating the ice cream and jello and stuff, and you see in the background like the merchandise and everything, I don't think Jurassic Park gets enough credit for being a little bit meta. Like they actually, some of the products that you see like in those kind of scenes, I won't say were like directly then sold to consumers like in like correlation to the film, but there is like a connection there that I thought was, again, just Spielberg being super, super smart to, you know, have that. Actually, all of the things that they had in the movie, as far as t-shirts, hats, and things that you saw in the gift shop, were actually produced and sold. So, hey, and and it, 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 there it is. Yeah. Do you remember the tagline for the movie? That's a big pile of shit. No, no, no. <laughs> That's the wrong movie. Uh, you watched a different Jurassic Park. You watched Jurassic Pork, and it was actually all a joke that he made. And it, uh, Spielberg made was uh, an adventure sixty-five million years in the making. Woo! Big joke. I don't know. Anyway, premiered on June 9th, 1993, and for their premiere, Spielberg showed up in one of the tour vehicles, not driven by a guy hidden under the back seat. Oh, <laughs> uh, should have. That would have been a total power move. All right. On a budget of $63 million, it made $50.1 million in its first weekend. Uh, it was the highest grossing film, 93. And it outdid Spielberg's own film of E.T. in 82. And it actually held the highest grossing movie until James Cameron came along and put out Titanic and then Avatar. And it, it held that until 97. Wow. Yeah. Jurassic Park became the highest grossing film worldwide at that time, breaking opening weekend records set by Batman Returns. The re-release in April of 2013 in 3D brought in 18.6 million for a lifetime gross of 1.046 billion dollars. Like we said on a previous episode, that is a return. That is a return. Yeah, I think in this instance the movie deserves it because it did a lot in that time frame that number one hadn't been done before. It was outside the box in a lot of it. And it also took every adult that ever had dinosaur bedding put on their bed. It really, like, they ran to see it. To see their favorite dinosaurs brought back to life. Or a chance to see them brought back to life. So this was actually the first movie I remember going to see in the theater. And then I remember having the VHS and it it traveled with us. I remember going to a hotel that I, we thought would have a VCR. And all I could do is just stare at that black VHS case with the Jurassic Park emblem on it. And it was just something awesome about that case in itself. Just that whole imagery. I, that, that tape went with us. I watched it at the beach. I, I mean, it was just, it was a go-to movie for a long time. I've always been a big fan of when you can see a shape or a symbol with no words mm -hmm. and you know exactly what it is. Mm -hmm. And when you see that T-Rex skeleton in that circle, you know that's Jurassic Park. You mm -hmm. don't need any kind of verbiage around it. You see that symbol, you know exactly what it's a reference to. And I, I think that's neat. About the symbol, right? The Jeep in the movie is an iconic Jeep. 
with the Jurassic Park logo on it. My daughter goes to high school, and there was a kid who was coming out of the school parking lot, and he had that style Jeep painted the Jurassic Park colors. And we ended up catching up with him at a gas station. He's putting gas in his Jeep. I'm like, that is a pretty cool Jurassic Park Jeep. You know, I was looking it over, and I was like, you know, the, uh, it looks pretty legit. And the guy goes, I don't even know what this is from. My dad just gave me the Jeep to drive. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Oh, oh he's got a pretty cool dad. He's got an awesome dad. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying you should hit a child. I'm just saying. I'm not going to punch a high schooler. Didn't say hit. He's got a cool Jeep that could hit him just fine. <laughs> all right. It currently ranks 37th highest grossing film of all time in the United States and Canada. And that's not adjusted for inflation and 40th highest grossing movie of all time. Now let's talk about the critical response on Rotten Tomatoes holds 92%. Janet Maslin of the New York Times said a true movie milestone presenting awe inspiring sights never before seen on screen. On paper, the story is tailor made for Mr. Spielberg, but it becomes less crisp on screen than it was on the page with much of the enjoyable jargon either mumbled confusingly or otherwise thrown away. Now, with Ooh. that, with that, we talked about in part one how Crichton is very technical and they use the uh, Mr. DNA. How, what was it? What was what's his line? Um, Dino DNA. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you did it. You did it so well. You did it so well. Um, well, here, here. Let's just we'll do some creative editing. All right. Ask me the question again. What was his line? Dino DNA. There you go. <laughs> I read the book or started to read the book. Sorry, started to read the book when I was much younger. I don't remember much of it, but I have to assume that the technical jargon of it is what turned me off from it. I found the audio book on Spotify and I've turned it on in my car to listen on my my commute to work. And oh my God, like it's just so full of, I miss half of it because I just, my brain wanders. It's just, it's so full of it. So the, the enjoyable jargon, what's the enjoyable jargon? Maybe I haven't gotten to that part yet. I'll listen more. I'll listen more. I like to read. I read a lot. Um, and I mean, let's be honest here. There's certain things that work really good on the page that don't work visually. I think the way they did the DNA character and the little, you know, introductory scene to the theme park is perfect. Mm -hmm. you, you explain enough without getting in the weeds about it. Like that's one of those kind of chapters that you just kind of power through in a novel like that. Uh, I mean, I guess for some people that is something that's really, really cool. But I think for the average moviegoer, the average novel reader even, 20 pages of technical jargon about DNA is not probably something you want in your action adventure novel. No, just give me the damn dinosaurs. Right. All right. So one of our favorite critics partners, Mr. Roger Ebert. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, gave the film three out of four stars and said the movie delivers all too well on its promise to show us dinosaurs. We see them early and often and they are indeed a triumph of special effects artistry, but the movie is lacking other qualities that it needs even more, such as a sense of awe and wonderment and strong human story values. 
Sorry, seeing a fucking dinosaur is not awe-inspiring when you're staring at a screen. Yeah, I, I don't know. And and uh, what what was her name? Uh, Janet Maslin said it was awe-inspiring. So, all right, one of my favorite reviews of this because it's not positive. <laughs> I, I just okay. Henry Sheehan of Sound uh, Sight and Sound argued. The complaints over Jurassic Park's lack of story and character sound of little off the point. Pointing out the story arc of Grant learning to protect Hammond's grandchildren despite his initial dislike of them. So, it's not really a review of the movie. He didn't really... I read his whole review. That's just a, a snippet of it. He didn't really review the movie. He just really talked about Grant... Changing his opinion on the kids. That was it. Makes me wonder what that guy's opinion of kids are. I don't know. I don't know. So, all right. Let's run through the legacy because we've, we've talked about how wonderful this movie is. We're rounding out the, uh, the, the facts of life. No, the facts of Jurassic Park. All right. Since its release, Jurassic Park has frequently been cited by film critics, industry professionals, and film classes, universities, as one of the greatest movies of the action and thriller genres. So not a horror, a thriller. There you go. It's right there. Well, uh, I did, I just out of curiosity, I pulled up uh, IMDb's list of the 100 greatest films of all time. And again, this is kind of based on, I mean, whatever IMDb criteria is. But Jurassic Park ranks number 60, which, you know, I think that's about right. Give me Citizen Kane. That's uh, uh, that's a little higher up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I figured it would be. Which I mean, honestly, if we want to do a Citizen Kane uh, episode, that's cool. I'll do it. I really what do you think number it, one is. It was good, but I didn't really love it. I have no idea. No idea. If they drop this down to number sixty, I'm going to go with Moulin Rouge. Hell, I don't know. Oh God. Yeah. The, uh, the Godfather. Okay. All right. Oh, Which. Yeah. You know, I thought the second was better than the first, but anyway. Well, I was just going to say, in number three of all time, Schindler's List, which... Uh Right, hand-in-hand with this one, as we've learned. So, uh, American Film Institute named Jurassic Park 35th most thrilling film of all time. Empire, on the 15th anniversary in 2004, it judged uh, Jurassic Park the sixth most influential film in the magazine's lifetime. They also said... Uh, they took a poll of readers, filmmakers, and critics and rated it one of the 500 greatest films of all time. And I don't really care where your movie ranks in the greatest films of all time. You could say that your movie was in such and such. So if you have a dog turd of a movie, you could be like, it's in the top thousandth greatest movies of all time. Like, <laughs> you know. And then in 2006, IGN ranked Jurassic Park as the 19th greatest film franchise ever. So not just film just film franchise so franchise yep the popularity of the movie led to the management of the national basketball association expansion franchise founded in toronto in 95 (laughs) to take the name raptors also during the team's playoff games fans watched the game on large television in an area outside the arena which has been nicknamed jurassic park so Fun. as as a bit of a basketball fan, the Toronto Raptors went through a, a phase where they had these jerseys that had this big purple raptor dribbling a basketball. Kind of like kinda like Barney, but oh yeah. The nineties were the 
a great time for NBA basketball. <laughs> so this film has actually given rise to what's been called the Jurassic Park generation. Young people who have been inspired to become paleontologists and a surge in discoveries about dinosaurs in real life. So this movie pushed kids into careers. All right. George Lucas, realizing the success of creating realistic dinosaurs, decided to make the Star Wars prequels. Not a, not a great legacy, but Ooh. Stanley Kubrick decided to go full on with AI, the artif uh, AI artificial intelligence, which actually ended up becoming a Spielberg movie because Stanley Kubrick died, which I learned Spielberg had a fax machine installed in the closet in his bedroom to communicate with Stanley Kubrick. Why in the closet? I don't know. You've got a big house, Mr. Spielberg. Pick a different room. <laughs> so he no, could just have a room devoted to that. Right. Sorry, Sarge. I said no. I mean, he's Steven Spielberg. They're in the closet together. Him and Stanley Kubrick. They're in the closet. Whoa. Whoa. Mm. Well, not anymore. But Stanley Kubrick died. Just respect the man, man. Hey, I, I am. I'm right. not judging him. Moving right along. So. After the success of the film, Spielberg asked Crichton to write a sequel to the novel. So he wrote The Lost World and then turned around and adapted that book into The Lost World movie. And it was released in 97. And then it was, again, co-written by Co-op and Jurassic Park 3 in 2001. Fourth installment, Jurassic World in 2015. And then Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom in 2018. Which I I started watching, and it's just not a good movie. It, it's just not. I'm going to finish it, but it's just not a good movie. So I've seen everything except for the most recent one, Dominion. And I will say that the second... Okay, hot take. Jurassic Park 3 is better than Lost World. And Jurassic Park okay. Fallen Kingdom is better than, or Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom is better than the first Jurassic World. I can't disagree with you, but I also can't agree with you because so far Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom is just not a good movie. And I haven't seen the newest one. I, I think I watched Fallen Kingdom once before, don't remember it enough. So in Fallen Kingdom, I will say that the first half of the film is, is just kind of like dinosaur catastrophe like you know kind of like whatever right. but as the movie progresses spoiler alert you get into this whole like underground selling of dinosaurs amongst like rich people and stuff yeah. and after that kind of happens some dinosaurs get loose in this mansion and it turns into this like haunted house with dinosaur thing that I know it's campy, I know it's cheesy, but it's pretty effective and it's pretty cool. Same thing with Jurassic Park 3. It is cheeseball, it is goofy, but if you just accept it for what it is, you don't compare it to Jurassic Park, you just accept it as a big, dumb monster movie, it's actually pretty good. I think that some of the sequels, when you get into part twos and part threes of these kind of franchises, people just, they don't even try. They just write them off. But I, I think both of those are actually better than most people give them credit for. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll watch it with more of an open mind. I'll finish it. So thank you. Thank you. All right. 
we know it got theme park rides, but the one that I thought was the best name of all of it. So at Islands of Adventure in Orlando, Florida, Universal Parks, they've added a new roller coaster called the Velocicoaster. <laughs> I I want to ride the Velocicoaster. All right. That has been Jurassic Park. Now, I I've I've told you guys in the past, and I will continue holding on to this. I love movie trivia. Fun facts. Fun facts. I need a little theme song. Real quick, we'll roll film. All the cast were given Raptor models after filming by Steven Spielberg. Ariana Richards has it in her house to shock anyone coming in, like a security guard outside. Jeff Goldblum, his model has a spot in his house and is a cherished object, he calls it. And Laura Dern put her Raptor model in her son's room near his crib. And uh, when he was a little bit older, he screamed like he had never seen it before, and it frightened him to the point where she had to put it away. <laughs> so, in 2015, paleontologist Dr. Mary Schweitzer discovered red blood cells, red blood cells, and soft tissue in fossilized bones of a T-Rex, meaning dinosaur cloning may someday be a reality. I, I legitimately, like, when I, I remember watching Jurassic Park as a kid thinking, okay. This all lines up. I'm assuming this will happen one day. <laughs> all right. Despite being called Jurassic Park and what we heard earlier in the reviews about how the dinosaurs were seen often, they were given around 15 minutes of screen time. Nine minutes for animatronics, six minutes CGI, which means 11% of the film has dinosaurs in it. 11%. Wow. Yeah. I, I credit that to a uh, Hitchcockian sort of thing where we you know, put pieces in our brains that weren't really mm -hmm. there in the movie. All right. So last but not least, according to Fandango, it would cost approximately $23,432,400,000 to build a real life Jurassic Park. $1.5 for the park itself. $10 billion to purchase an island off the coast of Costa Rica with 60 square miles of land. $8 million for research and legal team, nine million harvesting dinosaur DNA, eight point five million just overhead to clone dinosaurs from DNA, eleven billion a year in employee payroll and operations budget, two hundred million a year in dinosaur food. <laughs> in total, the estimated yearly operating cost for Jurassic Park would add up to eleven point nine billion. So that's yearly operating costs. I, I Elon, Elon Musk, seven hundred dollars. I don't know. I don't know. However well, much Sarge pays to go to get Disneyland. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it would be about the cost of my family of six to go out to eat at McDonald's because that's just not a cheap venture. So no. Okay, so, so you said it would be like like how many billion? Eleven billion a year. Eleven billion, eleven point nine billion in operating costs. So it was $23,432,400,000 just to build a real life Jurassic Park. And that's using 2015. I couldn't find what it would be now. And I didn't feel like doing all the uh, conversions for inflation. So tickets would be, tickets would have to be $1.49 per person because as of 2021, there is seven point. Seven three five billion people in the world. That's if every person oh, oh. went to the park. 
<laughs> yeah, since everybody went to the park. So at a minimum, it would have to be a dollar fifty a ticket. I don't know that anybody has ever done a math equation factoring in every single person on the earth. Well, he asked if it would be feasible, and yes, it would be feasible. Your ticket prices would be a dollar fifty. We'll we'll round up, of course, to two dollars. I feel like we're at Why least. Not? I feel like we're at least looking at a hundred bucks a ticket, at least. Probably, I, that's, and I just give maybe you, you get a deal here. if you bring in you. You, know, you gave me the bare minimum of every person on Earth visiting Jurassic Park with no profit. Well, I mean, you know, maybe maybe they have like bring a can of Coke day and get, get a discounted ticket or something. I don't know. Mm. It's 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 almost cute what you did. It's, <laughs> you did math like one of my six year olds would. I'm, so, I'm not like. If they could do math, upset. using the same logic. Yeah, I'm not, not like mad about it. I'm not mad. Sometimes I'm, the, the beautiful elegance of doing something simple. You asked a simple question. <laughs> what would ticket prices be? How would $11 billion, and I even did $11.5 billion, FYI. You know, what would that translate to ticket prices? And I did it. And you're like, God, you're like a, you're, you're like a six-year-old. God. Well, well, I can safely say, Simple Sarge is is a fine <laughs> nickname. <laughs> I'm not mad. I don't even know if dis if, if disappointed is the right word. Oh, I'm not disappointed at all. <laughs> not not impressed. You're going to be disappointed at my closing statements today. That's what you're going to be disappointed at. Perplexed. Anyway, did you guys know that recently in uh, 2020 they found? a new dinosaur, and it actually had a larger brain than other dinosaurs, from what they can tell. is so smart, they called it the source. Nice. In Jurassic Park, when they would find like twin dinosaurs, what would they call them? Pterodactyls. And then, and then they, they considered giving them homes, but do you know, do you know what kind of flooring Dinosaurs had in their homes? Reptiles. Yeah. Really great. Mm. I don't even feel bad about mine. I don't even feel bad about mine anymore. Yep. Go ahead. What you got? A sperm donor, a carpenter, and Julius Caesar walk into a bar. He came, he saw, he conquered. Mm. Well, yeah. I I think we'd be remiss to, to finish before we said, to the guy who invented zero, thanks for nothing. <laughs> nothing uh, nothing starts with an N and ends with a G so danger yep. when two people have sex it's called a twosome right mm-hmm. when three people have sex it's called a threesome mm-hmm. so now I know why you're called handsome when you have sex it's called a wonder because we all wonder how it happened uh, did it right at least three times yeah <laughs> Well, okay, okay. I feel like you guys are getting pretty serious here, so let me just end with, with just a real bad one here. What's green grows in the garden and sings? Elvis Parsley. Ugh. All right, everybody. Uh, that has been our first actual two-parter episode. We had uh, Q is for Quentin Tarantino because it's hard to come up with things to start with the mm-hmm. Q, <laughs> and that had that had a second part to it. But this was actually our first part one part two 
Thank you for coming back for part two. If you did, if you started here on part two, go back and listen to part one because part of this doesn't make sense to you. So with that being said, good night, everybody. Later. It's over. Done. Done.